the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. 602-508-0960 is the number. 602-5080-960. Got David Dahl in the producer's chair. Looking like he is in fine fettle. I've been talking with some attorneys trying to understand the full complexity of the Donald Trump indictment and have come to a few preliminary conclusions I'd like to share. To begin, first, anyone who thinks this is a slam dunk and not complicated is not doing their homework. There are a lot of questions to be asked about the statutes alleged to have been violated. Those questions are surrounded by a lot of clouds. Cloud one. Is there a violation of the Presidential Records Act? We know it was not mentioned once in the indictment, and that is a curiosity because while not a criminal statute, it is the roadmap and guidance for what Donald Trump was entitled to take with him from the White House, and this will become relevant to the espionage charge in a moment. Cloud two. It seems to me a lot of what he was authorized to take or not founders on whether or not the documents or records he took were personal or official presidential government records. Cloud three. What constitutes personal records? Cloud four. This was litigated with Bill Clinton as an ex-president, and the attorney suing Clinton has a good op-ed in the Wall Street Journal on this, in today's paper. And in that, litigation, in that litigation, federal judge Amy Berman Jackson, an Obama appointee, ruled, quoting from her decision, since the president is completely entrusted with the management and even the disposal of presidential records, that is to say government records, during his time in office, it would be difficult for this court to conclude that Congress intended that he would have less authority to do what he pleases with what he considers to be his personal records, close quote. The more you look into this, the more you start to construct a great law school exam where several branches of analysis need to take place. So this presents cloud five. Did Donald Trump's attorneys rely on that 2012 case on Clinton's records in advising him, thinking that that was the controlling authority? Cloud six. The Presidential Records Act does not apply to records that are personal to the president and defines such as, now bear with me, quote, these are the definitions under the PRA for personal, all documentary materials or any reasonably segregated portion thereof of a purely private or non-public character which do not relate to or have an effect upon the carrying out of the constitutional, statutory, or other official or ceremonial duties of the president. Such term includes diaries, journals, or other personal notes serving as the functional equivalent of a diary or journal, which are not prepared or utilized for or circulated or communicated in the course of transaction transacting government business, materials relating to private political associations and having no relation to or direct effect upon carrying out of constitutional, statutory, or other official or ceremonial duties, and materials relating exclusively to the president's own election, to the office of the presidency, and materials directly relating to the election of a particular individual or individuals, 
to federal, state, or local office, which have no relation to or direct effect upon the carrying out of constitutional, statutory, or other official or ceremonial duties of the president. Close quote. Now, I'm sorry to read all that to you, but when you look at the purported smoking gun in the Trump indictment, that is the part where Trump is waving around a document about bombing what is referred to as country A, there is nothing in the indictment that says the unauthorized people in the room saw anything other than a representation from Trump of the document or memo. It might have been a file folder cover. It might have been anything. It might have been a memo with classified material on it that he wrote notes on, that he wrote in the margins to send back to the author. It may have had writings on it with his musings about the implications of the actions suggested by the official who wrote it. Musings about history. Musings about precedent. Musings about political considerations. And most importantly, it might have been, let me quote, a, quote, extra copy of a document produced only for convenience of reference, close quote. Why do I quote that? Extra copy of a document produced only for convenience. Why do I quote that? Because that is a definitional exception to the Records Act. In other words, what if it was a duplicate of something with what is alleged to be a governmental record? Then it isn't a governmental record. It's a personal record that may also have had classified intelligence on it or not. Now, Cloud 7. Back to an extant question regarding the Espionage Act. The Espionage Act makes it a crime if the person has what the statute says is unauthorized possession. Well, that's why the Presidential Records Act is important here. How do we know that what Donald Trump was supposedly in possession of in violation of the Records Act was unauthorized, given all the clouds I just read to you? Which raises cloud eight. How is this all to be determined? Which raises what we shall call the biggest cloud of all. Cloud nine. A giant cumulonimbus. If this is a question of fact as a lot of these clouded questions are, that means a jury has to decide them. Well, how in the name of all that is holy does the government prosecution relay classified information or evidence to a jury of 12 people who don't hold national security clearances? Does the government declassify the evidence for the purposes of the trial? Well, if they do that, the law is an arse because... What the government is saying is that, A, a jury of 12 Toms, Dicks, and Janes can be provided classified intelligence that the former president should not have, which means that, B, the government's position is that it is more important to get Trump than protect classified information. Is that in any way tolerable or even remotely related to any concept of justice or what the Department of Justice should be busying itself with? Remember, too, just what it is. That is being invoked when you charge the former president with the Espionage Act. It's an anti-spying act. That's what espionage means, to spy. The allegation here, the indictment, is claiming that Donald Trump is a spy or is guilty of espionage. It's a heavy weapon, one of the heaviest in the government's arsenal. It seems to me, parsing through its delicate and somewhat recondite qualifiers, it is an act that should not be used lightly or for novel trials, especially against a former president, and especially in a political campaign against that former president. It, like so many other concepts we've vitiated, 
concepts like victim, concepts like fascist, concepts like racist, should be, as the great former official in the Department of Justice, one Lois Harrington once put it, protected. These words and concepts should be protected, protected from overuse and thus attenuating and neutering. I shall now try to call this sort of thing the Harrington Rule. The clouds are just too full of murky water here, and as the Joni Mitchell song goes, I don't think a lot of people know these clouds at all. In all seriousness, you don't wield such heavy weaponry so casually, or certainly with all the questions, the beginning of which I'm pretty sure I haven't even begun to scratch the the surface of. Allegations of endangering our country via the Espionage Act should be reserved for certainties. These kinds of indictments weaken the import and seriousness and gravity of the Espionage Act and thus the act of espionage and spying. Another literary literary reference, if I may, Hilaire Bullock's poem, George, who played with a dangerous toy and suffered a catastrophe of considerable dimensions. When George's grandmama was told that George had been as good as gold, she promised in the afternoon to buy him an immense balloon. And so she did, but when it came, it got into the candle flame, and being of a dangerous sort, exploded with a loud report. The lights went out, the windows broke, the room was filled with reeking smoke, and in the darkness shrieks and yells were mingled with the electric bells and falling masonry, and groans and crunching as of broken bones, and dreadful shrieks when, worst of all, the house itself began to fall. It tottered, shuddering to and fro, then crashed into the street below, which happened to be Seville Row. When help arrived among the dead were Cousin Mary, Little Fred, the footman, both of them the groom, the man that cleaned the billiard room, the chaplain and the still-room maid, and I am dreadfully afraid the monsieur Campion, the chef, will now be permanently deaf, and both his aides are much the same, while George, who is in part to blame, received, you will regret to hear, just a nasty lump behind the ear. The moral is that little boys should not be given dangerous toys. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. Excellent, excellent stuff about uh, on your monologue about President Trump. I'd like to follow up a little bit. Uh, yesterday, I heard some clips about Senator Ted Cruz. He was interviewing an interim FBI uh, assistant director. Yeah, we played the audio. He was interviewing the deputy yeah. director, uh, Deputy Director Abate, yeah. Yes, and uh, he was talking about this letter and about the $10 billion divided up between 
Vice President Biden and his son. Yes. You know, however, you know, because all he wanted to say is, well, you know, we're looking into it and and evasive and everything. And I was thinking, I I noticed that there was one uh, thing there that was kind of missing. You got the uh, January 6th protesters. They were investigated. They were arrested. They were charged. They had their trial. They were found guilty. They were incarcerated in all less than two years. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, why is this one taking years and years and years? Because this letter, I guess some of the notations go back to like 2016 or something. And uh, a a real kind of sideline, but I get back to my point, today was Flag Day. And happy birthday to the United States Army, uh, 1775. Absolutely. But... But this goes back to what we discussed earlier about our information operations. They they devoted the news media devoted 200 minutes uh, to President Trump, but not even a second to this stuff about President Biden. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's the the stuff that we've talked about on the information operations. Uh, JP 3-13, you know, they told us all about this manifesto and the school shooting with the transgender down in Texas. Uh, they Nashville, sit I here think. In, Nashville, I think. Okay. Yeah. There we go. And there was also this bridge that with the fire and it collapsed on I-95. You know, I mean, I guess maybe if you live east of the Mississippi, it might be important to you. But, you know, I mean... You know, people that live in the western United States, it's one of them big who cares stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what uh, Brandon Weikert talked about, about, you know, this, uh, he pointed out that there were actually three Chinese listening posts in Cuba. That's right. uh, And not just this one that they're talking about. Again, it's just all distraction. Whatever happened to that story about that Chinese balloon? You know, here we go. Look over here, folks. Look over here. And uh, I'd just like to wrap it up. You're talking about, you know, the uh, things that people have said in poems and uh, things that may be in songs and Joni Mitchell and clouds. Uh, I'll throw one in there. It's Bob Dylan is everything is broken. Everything is broken. That's right. Everything is broken. And, um, you know, it's 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 not it's it's not as if it's broken in a way that can easily be put back together either. You know, I mean, this is going to be a multi-step process if we can if we can repair it, if we can get there. And I, I, I just I, I've never seen um, patriotic, optimistic Americans feeling so digest, dejected by their government or by, you know, the general political atmosphere. I've just never seen it. Uh I, I have I have I have never seen such cynicism and I and I and I take it that it's not gonna repair itself by just switching parties. You know, the Republicans come to office in Washington, let us say, in uh in January of twenty twenty five. it's not gonna be immediately fixable. My guess is that the left at this point, believes an entitlement that this is a one-party state that they get to run. And, of course, to us, as to anyone 20 years ago, we would have seen that as, you know, obviously absurd, the stuff of, you know, one-party rule and authoritarian regimes. But to them, they, they, they truly believe that. 
why else would they call us fascists? Why else would they call us any epithet they can reach for? The more extreme, the better. They don't think we're entitled to rule. So should we win? Should we have collected enough independents who are fed up with it like you and I and obviously enough Republicans to rally around the candidates? Do you think it's going to get any easier here? They've broken this thing, the left has, using Bob Dylan's phraseology. They've broken this thing to a point where repairing it is going to take a very long time. It's going to be a very arduous task. Yes. Yeah, obviously, because, you know, it's taken how many years? You know, there's some people trace some of these things back all the way to, say, George Washington. We can at least trace it back easily to when they took prayer out of school. And it's just been one little bit incrementalism, a compromise. Oh, well, we just need to go along to get along. And we compromise and we compromise. And we've painted ourselves into a corner. And we're, we're not going to get out of this by just hiring one person, uh, Donald Trump, so to say, to, to, to maybe fix this thing. It's just everything is broken. They, they've They've got everything arranged, whether it's with the deep state, the you know, the intelligence information, and they've got the media with the information operations, and it's it's a sorry mess that we're in here. I'm, I'm I'm at a loss. I am too. I'm at a loss too because you know it used to be when you uncovered a scandal or you uncovered an impropriety by a leader in government, political, elected, not elected, appointed, and they were confronted with it, there would be a sense of shame about it. Like if you watched that hearing with Deputy Director Abate yesterday, there would once upon a time have been a sense of humility and shame. Regret. There's none of that. There's none of that. They're strutting. They think they're right. That's that's called entitlement. But they think they're in the right, and they yield themselves to no questioning about what they are doing with their authority and what it's doing outside of Washington, D.C. You've often heard Washington, D.C. referred to as a bubble, and it can have a lot of different connotations. Right now, I think the Department of Justice, under which the FBI operates, is in a bubble that is far more far more than opaque. I, I don't think they understand what they are doing to the fabric and metal of this country. I really don't. Mike, thank you. We'll have Brett Johnson uh, help us sort through some of the legalese when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brett Johnson, as promised, he is our guest. He is a partner at the law firm of Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com, constitutional uh, expert uh, in residence at this show, and we uh, are delighted he can join us on most Wednesdays. And sometimes more than most Wednesdays when the times require it. Brett Johnson, thanks for being with us. So appreciated. Oh, thanks for having me. I promise you at some point we'll get to the voting rights case, but maybe <laughs> not just this week yet. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, been around, it's been around for like 50 years, so we can wait another week. How many billable hours are we into you for <laughs> looking into the Trump indictment at this point? <laughs> don't, don't tell the suits upstairs at Snell and Wilmer. <laughs> All right, Brett. Last week when we were talking about the indictment, we talked about 
you know, one of the things that happens in a case like this or when one first gets an initial filing, whether in a civil or criminal case, you think maybe there's just no way to answer it. It's damnable. And then you think it through and work it through and you look here and there. Over the past week or so, have you looked further through this indictment and the case that's being brought by Jack Smith and and, and had any thoughts as to whether there seems to be much more of an open door than a slam dunk case here or a closed and sh- shut and closed case? Yeah, of, of course, right? And I think that people have probably heard it in the news, so I'm probably not you know, repeating something that hasn't been um, you know, said by somebody else. But, you know, there, there is the, um, uh, the, the Presidential um, Records Act, which basically after, um, you know, a president leaves office, all of those records are turned over to uh, the National Archives. And that's, that's, that was the underpinning of the investigation in the first place, because the National Archives believed that were certain records were missing, and then made eventual referrals to the Department of Justice, which led us to where we are right now. So there's an interplay between the Espionage Act and the Presidential Retention Act, as well as some other executive orders that that are going to come into play, and then the president's role in it. And I think that that's going to be very, very important. The other issue that, that can't be uh, um, you know, uh, underplayed by any means is that we are talking about classified records. I don't think even by the, the little reading that we received from the complaint itself that the, the, the records were at least marked as classified and at least some of them deal with potentially with some national security issues. So that is going to be a whole other issue that quite honestly the judge is going to need to figure out as, as uh, she goes through this as to what are the rights of a former president who had access to all this data and the ability to access that information to be able to prove a case um, before a jury and what the jury can and cannot see. So there's a whole bunch of little issues that are going to be uh, kind of um, developing uh, over the next year or so. And, and usually these types of cases, again, are, are not done within a year, right? I mean, there's all, these are long-time cases, and to try to say it's going to be done before November of next year is going to be a very, very uphill battle. Let me, uh, let's press down on each one of those uh, points you raised. I think there's a lot in each of them that uh, requires some distilling. First of all, yeah, let's talk about the Presidential Records Act a little bit. We all know it to be a civil statute, mm-hmm. and we all know that it wasn't brought up in the indictment. It wasn't mentioned or referred to in the indictment. But it has to, I would think, be in play here in outlining the strictures of what a president or an outgoing president thinks he can take with him or has the authority to take with him. And the notion that an error or any number of errors in understanding that or perhaps misinterpreting that authority or perhaps relying on that authority from the Bill Clinton case that uh, that was written about in the Wall Street Journal today. Perhaps he was relying on that authority or his lawyers were in advising him to go from there to 100 miles per hour in an Espionage Act indictment seems to be i don't know what the right phrase is it seems to be it's it seems to be quite radical 
Yeah, and, and let's 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 parse that out. I and I agree with you. And again, we are all in uncharted. This is virtual territory, territory which which is another reason one might be a little more loath to immediately deploy the Espionage Act against a former. No, friend. no, that's Short right. segment, Brett. Can I can I set that up for the next one so we can not sure. not be interrupted and I'll let you have yeah uh, full the uh, full time to uh, to walk us through that. But up against the break, I didn't want to cut you off. Brett Johnson is my guest, folks. The Snell and Wilmer Law Firm SW. Law.com is their website, offices around the nation. Not not a sponsor or anything like that, just damn good lawyers, and Brett's a darn good friend. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brett Johnson from the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm is walking us through uh, further thoughts on the uh, Trump indictment. Brett, right before the break, we were going into the virginal territory that all this is and the interplay between the national, uh, excuse me, the Presidential Records Act and uh, the Espionage uh, Act. And uh, we had to cut. So, sorry, feel free to take it up, pick it up wherever you <laughs> left off. Yeah. No problem. But just as, as way of background, so when, when a, the Presidential Records Act, by the way, you know, it was it was four years after President Nixon um, and, and all the Watergate issues that this came out because there was this kind of lack of clarity, which now we're still dealing with the only lack of clarity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Aren't we glad we fixed later. that? Yeah. yeah, that was great. Um, um, but but the, the, the main rule is, is that anything that was official or as part of the official um, uh, records, that automatically, the day that uh, President Trump stopping president and President Biden became president automatically um, became part of the National Archives. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, is that what, what could he retain? And, the, and, and that w- there was a process in place for which that could happen. And that's all been kind of walked over. So then the question is, is that since that's a civil civil um, law and there's not really uh, any kind of controls outside of give us back the records. What happens next? And then you do look at whether or not they're classified or have some other security provisions, and then that gets us into uh, brings us all the way back up to President Obama. And President Obama tried to put together an executive order that laid out the entire process for documents that are considered classified at that high level. President Trump kept that executive order, and that whole process walked its way through. So there is that whole question about President Clinton and the audio, et cetera. Well, President Obama came after President Clinton, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a hard analogy to use. But it's gonna, it is going to lead into a convoluted mess as to, as to the records at issue, which, as you and I have mentioned before, the judge is going to have to decipher. And there are procedures and rules that the judge will follow follow about the classified records. But one thing for sure is, is that president, you, me, anybody, we have a right to due process. And the government cannot tell the jury, just trust us on these records. So there, at some point, the government's going to have to make a determination as to share these records with jurors who do not have security clearances either, share samples up with it, whatever it might be, but the judge is going to have to control that process. And it is going to be a nightmare procedurally as this goes forward. One of the interesting things to me about all of that is that some of these things might be mixed questions of law and fact. Some of these things might very well be. And dealing particularly as they are with what the government is maintaining as classified information creates a massive headache uh, on many fronts, as, as you pointed it out, as you pointed out. But one of the things that might become a question of fact 
um, is whether President Trump or, ex- or former President Trump even thought that just e- even even regar- regardless of the Obama executive order as to whether President Trump th- thought these may have classified markings but were no longer classified because under the Presidential Records Act, there's a lot of things that make that 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 turn documents convert documents into personal one if they're photocopied uh two if he puts personal notations into them for any number of reasons i think i believe if i read it correctly and so what it sounds to me like is if this is a debate between the presidential records act and his interpretation of it versus the government's and you also now have an additional executive order from president obama we're still flying pretty far when you consider every ex-president has had classified information found in their private control after they left the presidency to take that and make it an espionage case. It seems to me, it seems to me, it's a pretty heavy reach. It, 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 it's going to be a very difficult case, and I think that the prosecutors fully appreciate that, but so does, so does President Trump, because there are so many nuances yeah. between the inter, interplay between these laws. Um, it's, it's the reason why he's trying to you know, get, get several lawyers on his side, who, by the way, all need to have the, the, the security clearance. That's right. a delay process, by That's the way. Right. So I just want to make sure, that, again, this is not going to be done quickly. I, I think that, that the judge initially is going to have a lot of those legal questions to be addressing either procedurally, how do we actually handle this? And we saw this already with the, the same judge, by the way, um, who appointed the special master, mm-hmm. and that was overturned. So you're going to be looking at a lot of different opinions that all of them are going to be appealed um, uh, because, again, we're dealing with new law and the That's judge right. is trying to create it, create it all at once. So it, it is going to be uh, um, an interesting interplay between these laws. And there is something called the Classified Information Protection Act, too, which can come into play, although I have to tell you I think it's oddly prejudicial if the defense doesn't raise it. Which I think it was intended to intended to keep for intended to keep the defense from blackmailing. When in fact, in this case, I could see it going the other way around. I, I think it could now under the, it's called the SEPA, but that yeah. you just you right, just made right, reference right, to right. Um, that that is the procedure that the judge is going to do, and and, and um, the defense counsel again, who's going to have the security clearance yeah. to review these documents, yeah. if for some reason there's an alternative. So let's let's say that there was a you know the the. Then it was an invasion plan of Canada, <laughs> something yeah, completely right, obscure, right? right? Yeah. But so that they take out the country, they take out other references, and there's a summary, and the defense counsel can do it. And that happens quite often, okay. by the way, when there's such extensive testimony or evidence yeah. that you want to synthesize it for a jury so that they can quickly understand it. But again, the defense counsel and the judge would be involved in that process. But here's an interesting point yeah. when you, on, on the whole SEPA thing. Yeah. The agency mm-hmm. gets to determine uh-huh. the process right. and what happens there. Uh-huh. So when when that happens, if the agency says, absolutely not, I agree, the prosecutor and the defense counsel and the judge have all agreed about X, I disagree, mm-hmm. then, then it doesn't go forward. And then the judge balances that against President Trump's rights and says, you know what, then that counts out. Yeah. You can't prove your case without right. showing the That's jury right. that information. That's right. That's right. It wouldn't yeah. be a good Brett Johnson interview if I couldn't raise some kind of doctrine or rule with you. And so I want to close, Brett, with the rule of 
lenity, if I'm saying it correctly, where there is a conflict between some laws here and some ambiguity. And there might be between the Records Act and the Espionage Act and some of these other things at play. And when that does happen, isn't the judge supposed to defer to the defendant? Oh, 100 percent. It's most favorable to the defendant yeah. is actually how the, how the doctrine yeah. is. And that's a high standard. So it's not just a little bit in favor of the defendant. Yeah. And most favorable to the defendant means yep. usually dismiss the count. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, all I'm trying to, I guess, say is for everyone who's saying we got him or it's a slam dunk or he's toast, I, I don't think the bread's – they may have plugged in the toaster, but I don't think that the bread has popped up just yet. Well, it's not going to pop up for a few years. So. <laughs> That's why we'll keep you close for a while. And we'll do we'll do voting rights. I promise you we'll do voting rights. We'll do it probably before the affirmative action case comes out of Harvard. Probably. Okay. Brett Johnson, you're the best, man. Thank you right. very much. Thank you. Much appreciated. Bye-bye. You bet. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960, and we'll be right back. How's the transitory inflation working out for you? Or talk of a prospective recession, or the stock market's volatility, or the bank failures. You look around asking, where can I invest? Why Refi has an investment opportunity in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. And no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this collateralized, secure portfolio from Y-Refi. Y-Refi is headquartered here locally, and they encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I, I've been there, and you won't get asked to sign anything. You won't get a sales pitch. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Daniel Penny, um, who... uh, along with two others that we uh, haven't heard about, was in fact uh, indicted today by a grand jury, Alvin Bragg's grand jury in New York. He's the man who saved a lot of passengers on a New York subway from uh, a raving lunatic. And um, you just think about the ironies of of, of our legal system right now. The man who stood up and stepped up the man who was enforcing the law is actually – the man who saved lives is the one who's now indicted. Um, next hour, I want to talk a little bit more about that hearing that uh, Caller Michael referenced earlier and that we covered yesterday with Ted Cruz and his interrogatories with Deputy Director of the FBI, Abate. And um, we'll do that. Uh because one of the other interrogatories from Senator Josh Hawley is also worth highlighting and uh, deserves some airing as well. And you can begin to understand just how bad the FBI has become. It wasn't just James Comey. It wasn't just Christopher Wray. It's the deputy directors as well who are covering for all that, all, all that partisanship at the FBI. 
One last thing. One last thing to think about with the Trump indictment and the uncharted waters or virgin territory that we're going into and charging the president with the Espionage Act. Remember where the raid of Mar-a-Lago, where these documents were picked up, came from. Remember how that raid came about a year ago. It came about from a subpoena, obviously issued by the FBI. How did the FBI get that subpoena? The FBI got that subpoena because of a referral from the National Archives Records Administration. If you think the Presidential Records Act doesn't apply here, then why was it the National Archives Records Administration that kicked this whole thing off? And by the way, since when does the National Archives Records Administration concern itself with espionage? We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.